Well, good morning, church. It's good to see everyone. Ramon was here last week preaching. And, uh, and it's funny because he said, he goes, Rex was leaving, so I'm here to preach. I'm going, I'm, I'm just gone. It's Sunday. I'm not leaving, leaving. Like, and I got, a little, I got a little nervous for myself for a second there. Uh, but I was at FCA camp. A lot of uh, students were at camp. Matter of fact, we had 30 people from our church there last week. And uh, we had an incredible time. And uh, the, the picture on the screen, we had more kids this year than we've had any other year before. So it's continuing to grow. And uh, from Sunday, I'm sorry, Saturday to Wednesday, all these people were physically, spiritually, probably a little emotionally challenged as well. Um, we had a great time. We saw God do amazing things. And I know many of you were praying. Some of you provided scholarship money to help send kids to camp. This church gave, businesses gave. Um, but a lot of you were on your knees praying. And I just want to let you know, God answers prayers. We had nine students who gave their life to Christ for the first time. We had another 82 students recommit their lives to Christ. And over a do dozen students said, God told me that I need to be doing this. And they wrote down exactly what they felt God was telling them to do. So isn't that awesome news? I just praise the report right there. Yeah. So thank you for your prayers. Uh, besides uh, the inspiration, the uh, inspiring training sessions and chapel services that we had, uh, we all always, every afternoon and evening, we have competition. You see, FCA is all about inspiration and perspiration. They go together, so that's what we do. And um, every night we had competition, and, and before the games would begin, we would explain the rules. Um, and, and that's the way it goes, right? You need to know the rules. Well, without rules or boundaries, we know it's confusion and chaos. And lo and behold, one evening after round one of competition, we had to blow the whistle, bring him in the middle, middle of the field, and explain some of the rules again. Because, you know, kids have a way of knowing how to bend the rules a little bit, right? Uh, so we re-explained the rules and went at it round two, round three. After round three, we stopped and said, I'm going to change the rule. And we threw in a new rule, made it a little bit tougher, right? Here's the deal. We can do that because it's our camp. We can make the rules. Uh, and when it's our game, we can make the rules. That's sort of the way it works. However, in, in life situation, who makes the rules in life? God or man? I want you to think about that. God or, or man? You know, if mankind makes the rules, we can take those rules and unmake them or change them because it's our rules, right? Now, that might be along, by the way, of um, I'm going to adjust it myself or we're going to have a vote. And we'll vote on how we're going to change the rules. We see that in government. That's sort of the way things work, right? But the problem is when you begin to change the rules and not everybody knows the change, there's going to be a problem. Or we change the rules and it's like, well, I don't like those rules, so I might not adhere to them. I might do something totally different. And again, when all that's going on, confusion and chaos can be the result. Now, if God makes the rules, ooh, Let's think about this one. If God makes the rules, you can't change or unmake those rules, right? You either follow those rules that God gave us or you disobey. That's sort of the way it works. Can't change them. Christianity, we claim that there is an eternal, holy God who created this world. He gave it direction. He gave us commands on how to live in this world. Satan and sin enter the world to go against everything that God created. God's got these rules. He's got, this is the way we're going to do it. Satan says, I'm going to mess that up because I am a false god of confusion and chaos. 
He likes doing that. He's a rule changer. His, Satan has like one rule, and that is this. Whatever God's rule is, I'm going to break it, and I'm going to make you break it too. At least I'm going to tempt you to break it. God's about life. Satan's about death. God is about being selfless. Satan's about being selfish. God is all about love. Satan's all about hatred. You can sort of see how this works, right? We've been discussing here at this church about having a spiritual foundation and understanding that God has created this world. He has revealed himself to us through his word. And we must be anchored into our beliefs, our thoughts, our behaviors, into a firm foundation. That firm foundation, again, being God's word. Without God's word, we do not have a firm foundation. When doubt, when opposition sort of come up against us in this world, because it's going to happen on a daily basis. Remember, Christians, if you're going this way and the world's going that way, you will bump into moments of opposition and confusion. You need to remain standing on a firm foundation. When this world is shifting this way, are you anchored in to God's word? Grab your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. As you're turning there, one topic of discussion that's been questioned concerning our foundation is the subject of eternal life. How many ways are there to heaven? That's the debatable thing with some people. Did you know there's a hundred ways to cook chicken? A hundred ways to tell your wife you love her? Did you know there's a hundred ways to encourage your kid? Did you know there's a hundred ways to motivate yourself? There's a hundred ways to write a book. How many ways are there to heaven? Oh, I heard the answer. One. One. That sounds so arrogant. You guys are arrogant people in here. You know that? One way to heaven. That's if your way is the only way. Well, when that opposition comes and people start questioning you, how do you respond? Where did you come up with that answer? Look what we read here. Eternity, understand this. The Bible informs us there is going to be eternal life. There is life after death. The Bible informs us of this. Eternity is going to be in the presence of God, which is heaven, or the absence of God, which is hell. You get to make the choice. The Bible tells us there's only as you said, one way to heaven. Look where we find out. John chapter 14, let's start in verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my Father's home. Wait, pause for a second. You remember the sermon many, many months ago we talked about the new heaven, new earth, and the size of this new heaven, the size of the new earth, and all the rooms? She's like, it's going to be a big place. A lot of space, right? If this were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. Verse 3. When everything's ready, I will come and get you so you'll always be with me where I am. Does he tell us when? No. It's when he's ready. So if you ever hear somebody preach a sermon or, or write a blog or a post and they're like, I'm going to tell you when Jesus is going to return, they don't know. It's when Jesus is ready. Jesus will let us know when he's ready. He says in verse 4, and you know the way to where I'm going. And I love this. One of the disciples, Thomas, goes, no, we don't. She's like, hey, we're going to heaven, right? And I want to show you where I'm going. It's like, it's like giving somebody um, a destination on their GPS. You know, that you're ready to plug in the address and say, we're, we're going to go on vacation. Okay, where at? Oh, you know where I'm going. No, I don't. I, I, I need to know the location before I can put it in here. Just trust me. Like, that's, that's Thomas. Thomas is like, well, where are we going? We have no idea where we're going. How can we know the way? Look at verse 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. 
Jesus is telling his disciples about heaven and how to get there, and there's only one way. Sounds a little arrogant, right? I don't know. If I were a math teacher, and I handed out a test this morning, and you got the majority of the questions wrong in school, you fail. So what should I do with your paper if you got the majority of your answers wrong? I don't know, it seems sort of mean to not pass you, so maybe I should, I don't know, let it slide. Here's what I love about math. Two plus two is what? How much is that? Four, please give me the correct answer or I will fail you. Okay, two plus, here's the thing about math. There's only one answer. Two plus two is four. Well, I thought it was five. Well, you're wrong. Two plus two is four. How about three? Not close enough. But I was pretty close. You know what? You were close. Three, good effort. Nice try because you made a lot of effort and you got to three and it's actually four. But because you worked hard, I'm going to pass you. Is that fair? No, absolutely not. Thank you. We can't let it slide. Think about this. Should a holy God who does not sin, who knows no sin, allow sin to be in his presence? No. It doesn't work that way. Should a holy, righteous God allow what is wrong to be in a place that is right? No. You need the correct answer on this one. There's only one solution, not multiple solutions. Two plus two equals four. One solution, one answer. Jesus is saying, hey, there's one way to heaven. There's only one answer here. I know you got a bunch of answers floating out there. Nice try. You're close. No, one answer. And you have to think about this. If you think there's more than one way to heaven, go back to John 14, 6, and you have to proclaim right now, either Jesus is a liar or he's Lord. If you think there's more than one way to heaven, then for you, Jesus is a liar. And if he's lying about this, what else is he lying about? We believe in, in, in a world that, or I'm sorry, we live in a world that believes many things right now. Again, looking at different books that I've been reading, I saw this statistic that says 40%, 46% of Americans claim to be Christians. Less than half of America claims to be Christians. And 10% of them believe in a biblical worldview. That means the majority of the people in America believe in multiple ways to get to heaven. Multiple ways. We live in this pluralistic society. We're also living in a time where people are very tolerant. You hear that word used all the time, right? There's no losers. There's no inferior ideas. Nobody's wrong. Just, just tolerate the behavior. It's so hard on Wednesday night with the kids' classes here because, well, we don't want to discipline the kids because we're a church. We're Christian people. We shouldn't tell them no, right? So let's just tolerate bad behavior. We don't want to hurt people's feelings, right? But we know better. We know better. Let's say I come home, we came home from camp. We get to our house. We go to our door and it's locked. Oh, we can't get inside. Our house. It's been a long week at camp. We're exhausted. We're tired. I just want to go inside and sit down and rest. But I can't because the door's locked. So I look at my family and I say, door's locked. Anybody have any good ideas to get into the house? One son says, I got an idea. How about we light the front door on fire? It'll burn down and we can walk right in. Now, being a tolerant dad, living in a tolerant society, I will look at my son and say, that's a good idea. 
Let's, let's think about that one, okay? Anybody else got another idea? No, no, pause. That's not a good idea. That's a bad idea. To burn your front door down because it's locked? Not a good idea. But see, again, we live in this world like, oh, I don't want my son's self-esteem to be crushed. So I don't want to tell him that his bad idea was a bad idea. Sorry, son. Bad idea. Okay, that was just a made-up story, by the way, so don't approach my sons afterwards and say, was it you? Was it you? It wasn't them, okay? See, here in America, we have a lot of religions. You can worship anything. You, know, you have the freedom to worship anywhere, anytime, anything. Matter of fact, we have a smorgasbord of religions out there. I have no teenagers who's like, well, I like what the Islamic belief is. I like what the Buddhist belief. I, I like what Christianity says. Oh, I like New Age movement. And they just sort of grab a little bit of peace and they sort of stir it up and this is their own little faith. Because why? Because, well, when somebody says you shouldn't do this over here, I don't fully believe that. But, well, but I like what they believe about that. And then they sort of just sort of make their own little, we can do that in America. We have the freedom to do that. And along with that freedom, then we're told, you better accept their faith too. You have the freedom to worship whatever you want, and you better tolerate their faith too. You better say it's okay. Now, I've mentioned the coexist bumper sticker, and I mentioned that before, which if you don't know what the coexist bumper sticker is, what that's all about, that's okay. Let me fill you in briefly, okay? Basically, the coexist is basically claiming that all religions, we just all need to get along together. All paths lead to God, and it's okay. It's not true. All roads lead to heaven. Not true. We may think, you know, okay, I got to tolerate you. And that's a sense of, you know, love and respect. And so um, here's the thing. What that belief is, is false. I may love that person. I may respect that person. But I don't have to agree with that person. And that's okay. And then sometimes we sit there and think, well, I know I'm supposed to stand up for what I believe. I'm supposed to be bold. But Rex, you always say, love God, love others. I don't feel like I'm loving others if, I'm, if, I'm, if, I, if I won't tell them that they're, they're, they're wrong or I disagree with them. So I, I can't really tell them I disagree with them or I don't want to start a fight so, because I'm supposed to love others. Can we, can we, a little time out here for a second. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Fifth book in the Old Testament, okay? We need to make sure we get this correct because you hear me say it all the time, love God, love others. Here's the problem. We tend to flip it. We love others before we love God. That's where we can get ourselves in trouble. It begins with loving God. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter six, starting in verse four, it says this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Now, if you were to continue to read on, it's going to talk about more about how to love God. We don't get into the love others yet. It's all about loving God. In the New Testament, Jesus says, hey, yep, greatest first command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. But look what he says in Matthew 22, 30 and 39. It's on the screen. This is the first and greatest command. But he says this, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. God told us to love him first. Love God first, then man. To love God is to follow God. It's to worship God. It's to obey God. It's to surrender to God. And the question is, are we? Are we worshiping God alone or do we worship other people first? Because I don't want to upset them. Who do you want to upset? God or, the, or your friend? 
Well, I really don't want to upset my friend. So you upset God. So here's the thing. You love your friend more than you love God. That's the way it works, right? Which one are you worshiping more? Which one are you following more? Are you going to fully trust the very words that come from an almighty God who created the heavens and the earth, our Lord? If so, you love him first, then you love others. You see, it's, it's through the lens of loving God that I can properly love others. If I love you first, it's, it's love for manipulative reasons. It's love for, for pleasurable reasons. It's love for selfish reasons. But if I love you through the eyes and the lens of God first, then I love you for a selfless reason. I love you for a sacrificially reason. It's a different kind of love when you love God first. I treat you with value. I treat you with respect. I treat you with honesty and integrity. Because I love God first, I'm able now to love you in the proper way. And so here's the thing. Because of my love for God, now I look at you. And if I see you making a dangerous decision I should love you enough to say something. If I don't say anything, then I'm not loving you with the love of God. I'm not, I'm not approaching you with my Bible saying, this is my foundation, and I'm whacking you over the head to wake you up and say you're wrong. I'm just telling you, here's where I stand, and I'm not ashamed of it. And when everybody else is having their conversation about what they believe, instead of sitting back here in the corner and not saying anything, I'm going to step up and say, I, I respect you and I respect you have an opinion. Let me tell you what I believe. And to be bold about it. Not to be arrogant. Not to be disrespectful. But through the love of God, I'm able to disagree on maybe an opinion that somebody has. But loving others by tolerating evil actions, that's not love. It's not love at all. I can live at peace with somebody who does not believe in the Bible, but I'm not going to believe in the coexist premise that all roads lead to heaven, that all paths lead to God, because they do not. They do not. If I love God first, I listen to his truth. And what did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes unto the Father except through me. There's only one way to heaven, church. I know it sounds arrogant, but we teach and we live by what is true. What is true? And that is God's word. And as a Christian, I can love people, but I do not have to accept their beliefs that contradict the Bible. Listen carefully. There are um, some lies and, and, and some, some false foundations that are floating around that have really weakened people's foundations on this. So I want to I toss three lies up here, or, or you want to call them faulty foundations, whatever you want to call them. But we need to understand what they are out there and make sure that we do not sort of sink into this as well. Here's the first one. Because I'm sincere, it's true. <laughs> I am so emotionally pulled into this right now. I'm so sincere about this. It's got to be true. Church, what shape is this table? Rectangle or circle? Rectangle. But here's the thing. What if I were to say, I sincerely believe it's a circle? I mean, the edges are sort of rounded off a little bit. I'm, I'm calling this a circle, maybe an oval. And I sincerely believe it. Somebody in here is wrong. Guess who it is? The one who sincerely thinks it's an oval or a circle. It is a rectangle. But a lot of people do that in faith. I sincerely believe that this is true. And it's like, because you sincerely believe it, doesn't make it true. 
The Bible says there's one God existing in three personhood. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But some people believe this. There's a God, but there's no Son. That's the Islamic belief, right? And then there's, oh, there's other 20 other gods. Some, some faiths believe that there's a God, but there's no Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. If we have all these different beliefs, somebody is wrong. Somebody is wrong. But I sincerely believe it. Sincerely does not make it true. So we need to understand that. Just because somebody says, I'm so sincere about it, doesn't make it true. Here's the second faulty thing. It doesn't matter who you worship. What matters is that you worship. Think about that for a second. It doesn't matter who you worship. It, what matters is that you are a worshiping person. Listen, we were all created to worship. God created us to worship him. But what is the object of our worship? Is it God? Is it self? Is it money? Is it popularity? Is it sex? Is it pleasure? Is it power? What is it that we want to worship? We've got to choose. Ancient history included all of those things. You look back in history, people worship all kinds. Did you know that there were temples for prostitutes to worship the goddess of love and sex? The Greek goddess's name was Aphrodite. Katy Perry sings, I want to be your Aphrodite. Little kids, teenage girls are saying, I want to be an Aphrodite. Okay, you know what that means? You want to be the goddess of love and sex. You want your body to be used by every man possible. Do you really want your daughters to sing that? Girls, do you really want to sing that? I'm thinking no. But because we don't understand what's being put into our music today, the hip-hop culture, a lot of music that's out there right now is filthy wrong. And if you listen to it long enough, you'll get sick and throw up. Unfortunately, we're like, oh, I like the beat. And, and we, we don't even listen to it, understanding that, you know what's happening in those songs? We are worshiping false gods. And it's scary. God wants us to worship him alone. Think about this. When Moses took the people of Israel out of Egypt, open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Genesis, Exodus, second book in the Bible. God leads his people out of Israel, uh, out of Egypt. And as they're going out into the wilderness, he says, you know what? I got a couple million people here. I need to give you some commands on how to live by. Let's see, what's the first thing we should all know? Look what he says. Exodus chapter 20, verse two. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself any idol or any kind of image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. It goes on to say in verse 5, You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children, and the entire family is affected, even the children of third and fourth generations, those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who obey, who love me and obey my commands. From the very beginning, the birth of that nation, God made it very clear. You're all created to worship. Worship me first. Worship me alone. That's it. Crazy thing is, months later, check this out. You can flip over a couple pages to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, I'm not going to put it up on the screen. I'll just put the reference. Months later, Moses goes up on the mountain. He's going to receive more instruction from God. So he goes up on the mountain. Some believe it was days, weeks, could have been a month. He's up on the mountain. Meanwhile, the people below, they're getting all antsy now. It's like, oh, Moses isn't around. And um, we're not hearing from God right now. Remember, they were just given a command. Worship God alone. Don't make any idols, right? Check out what happens. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. 
Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses. Really, the, the, the guy that opened up the Red Sea, the guy you've been following, you, he's just a fellow Moses, right? He's, you know, whatever. Okay, fellow Moses. Who brought us here from the land of Egypt, verse two. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from your ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me, verse three. All, let me hear you say all. All, one more time, all. All the people, all their gold earrings and whatever they had, they brought them to Aaron. Aaron took the gold, melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf, a small cow, right? When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these, these are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. Oof. Verse five, Aaron saw how excited the people were. He's getting fired up, right? So he built an altar in front of the calf and he said, tomorrow will be a festival for the Lord with a false idol. Verse six, the people got up early the next morning, sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting, drinking, and indulged in pagal reverie. Pagal reverie is, is like a sexual mass party and it's, yeah, we can't even talk about it. This what happened right there a couple thousand years ago maybe 4,000 years ago, no different than today. No different than today. Oh, we love God, we worship God. And then when we feel absent from God, we fall into false gods. When you decide that God's not the only God, worship gets diluted. The people took their gold, their rings, their earrings, everything they had, and they brought it in to make a false God. You wanna know what people worship today? How much do you give to the church? How much do you give to your hobbies? Weigh it out. These people gave all they had to a false God. They said the average Christian gives about 2 to 3% of their income. Bible is, you've said, oh, why aren't we supposed to give 10%? Yeah, 2 or 3 is what people give. If people gave 5%, all church bills would be paid off, missions would be supported, and, and it would be incredible. But... Where are we giving? These people said, let's just give it all to the God of a cow. Even though God just rescued them from slavery, right? Oh, check out what happens next. Aaron said, these are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. He didn't do away with God that we worship. He just added in a men. We just add another God in. We worship God. We worship a lot of other false things in our life. Verse six says they got the next morning. They got up early the next morning. They were eager. They were excited. They had all this energy. Let's get up early and go worship a cow. Let's get up early and go to church. I, 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 well, maybe, maybe not. I got a tea time at eight. I'm there. Early Bible study at eight. Can't do it. You want to know what you worship? What are you excited about? Who are you excited about? Then we'll know who you worship, and what you worship. Nothing has changed from Exodus chapter 32 to today. We're still that way at times. If I, you feel like I'm stepping on your toes, hey, I had to step on mine a lot before I got to this point to share this with you. This is truth. Does it matter what or who we worship? Absolutely. Absolutely. If we call ourselves Christians, there's only one God worthy of worship, and it's not a cow. It is God. Here's the third faulty foundation, and that is all paths lead to God. All religions are the same. Let me simply say this. No, they are not. They're not the same. They don't all lead to God. Every religion differs. Even if it's one little word that gets changed in a sense from this religion to this religion, they all differ. They have different views on eternity. So who's right? 
I heard this story about six blind men who went to India. They got to India, and again, they're blind. They've never seen an elephant. They've never seen a giraffe. They've never seen any of these animals before. But somebody said, I want to take you up to an elephant, and I want you to know what an elephant is. So the first, the first man went up, and he, he went up and bumped into the elephant, and he's like, hit the side of the elephant. He's like, this is like a wall. An elephant is like a wall. Another blind man got to the leg and put his arms around the leg. He's like, an elephant is like a tree. Another, another uh, blind man went up and, and found the, the tusk coming out and felt the long sharp and said, the elephant is like a spear. Another blind man came up and felt the, uh, the trunk of the elephant. He's like, the elephant's like a snake. Another blind man came up and touched the elephant and touched the ear. The ear is big and it's long. It's like, the elephant is like a fan. The sixth one went up and came behind the elephant and grabbed onto its tail. It's like, the elephant is like a rope. Now, here's the thing in case you're trying to picture all this. Maybe that will help, okay? But each man believed that his individual perspective was the whole truth, when it was actually only partial truth. Today, mankind, we're like the blind men. We experience one thing and we proclaim it's everything for all people. When it comes to eternal life, there's many opinions out there based on what they have experienced in life. But if God were to make himself clearly seen and remove the blindness from mankind, we would recognize the truth of his words where it says, Jesus is the only way. One way. One way. So again, I'm going to say this. Either Jesus is a liar or he is your Lord, church. When you leave this place today, you got to stand on one of those two things. You can't say, well, I'm not sure. If you're not sure, then he is a liar. If you believe that he is the one way and the only way to heaven, then he is your Lord. And what are you doing with that? Now, I share all this with you because there's so many varying opinions out there. We need to know what truth is. We want to be anchored into our firm foundation of God's word. Now, this is the point in the sermon where I want to conclude. And you're like, we got 10 minutes. Oh, i got a lot more. But I'm concluding in a different way. I'm just going to read God's word to you for the next 10 minutes. I'm just going to read God's word to you. And let God speak for himself. This is maybe where we should have started with building our foundation, right? But we believe that there is only one true God. Only one God. So we're going to start in Exodus. We're going to work our way all the way into the New Testament. Don't worry, I'm not going to hit all of the books, but most of them, or some of them, I should say, some of them. But I want to read these to you. And on the side is highlighted what I want you to hear from the verse. Beginning in Exodus 23, 24 to 25. You must not worship the gods of these nations or serve them in any way or imitate their evil practices. Instead, you must utterly destroy them and smash their sacred pillars. You must serve only the Lord your God. Deuteronomy chapter 4, 32 to 40. Now search all of history. From the time God created people on the earth until now, search from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything as great as this has ever been seen before? Has any nation ever heard the voice of God speaking from fire as you did and survived? Has any other God dared to take a nation for himself out of another nation by means of trials, miraculous signs, wonders, war, a strong hand, a powerful arm, and terrifying acts? Yet that's what the Lord your God did for you in Egypt, right before your eyes. He showed you these things so that you would know that the Lord is God and there is no other. 
He let you hear his voice from heaven so he could instruct you. He let you see his great fire here on earth so he could speak to you from it. Because he loved your ancestors, he chose to bless his descendants. And he personally brought you out of Egypt with a great display of power. And he drove out nations far greater than you, so he could bring you in and give you their land as a special possession as it is today. So remember this, keep it firmly in mind. The Lord is God, both in heaven and in earth. There's no other. Are you seeing the theme here, church? Deuteronomy chapter 10. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God, who shows no partiality. He cannot be bribed. You must fear the Lord your God and worship him and cling to him. Your oaths must be in his name alone. Here it is up on the screen. He alone is your God, the only one who is worthy of your praise, the one who has done those mighty miracles, and you've seen him with your own eyes. 2 Kings chapter 17, 38. Do not forget the covenant I made with you. Do not worship other gods. You must worship only the Lord your God. David said in Psalm 14, 1, only fools say in their heart, there is no God. They're corrupt. Their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. Isaiah 45, 5 to 6. I am the Lord. There's no other God. I've equipped you with battle, though you didn't even know me. So all the world from east to west will know there's no other God. I am the Lord. There is no other. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 6 to 16. Deep breath. Carry on. Lord, there's no one like you. It's up there, right? For you're great. Your name is full of power. Who would not fear you, O king of nations? That title belongs to you alone. Among all the wise people of the earth and all the kingdoms in the world, there's none like you. People who worship idols are stupid and foolish. The things they worship are made of wood. But the Lord is the only true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. Idols are worthless. They are ridiculous lies. On the day of reckoning, they'll all be destroyed. But the God of Israel is no idol. He's the creator of everything on, that exists, including Israel, his own special possession. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. Mark chapter 12. Yeah, we made it to the New Testament. Okay. Verses 28, 29, this is Jesus saying, one of the religious leaders was standing there listening to the debate. He realized Jesus has been answering very well. So he said, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. And he goes back to Deuteronomy. Listen, O Israel, the Lord your God is the one and only God. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Paul says, Romans chapter 3, 30, there is only one God and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 5 and 6, there may be so-called gods both in heaven and earth and some people actually worship many gods and many lords, but for us there is one God, the Father by whom we're all created and for whom we live. And there's only one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and understand. Isn't that good? God wants everyone to be saved. He wants everyone to understand the truth. What is that truth? Verse 5. There's only one God, one mediator, who reconciles us with humanity. He gave his life to purchase freedom 
for everyone. First John chapter 5, verse 20, 21. Am I behind on the screen here? Sorry about that. Here we go. And we know that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God and we can live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God three times. I think he wants us to know he's the true God and he is eternal life. Listen to verse 21. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. Last one. Revelation 22.9. But he said, no, don't worship me. This was an angel speaking. I am just a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and prophets, as well as all who obey what is written in this book. Worship only God. God repeatedly tells us through his word, there's only one God, and we are to worship him. And him alone. And because there's only one God, there's only one way to heaven. Church, listen, I, I understand. There's, there's, there's a lot of false gods out there too. Because there are false gods, there are false ways to heaven. False. But Moses, David, Isaiah, Jesus, Paul, John, and the list goes on and on. And they all say what? There's one true God. So church, if you think there's more than one true God, you might as well call the Bible a liar. Because all these men that God spoke through to write this down say, one God. One. Many false gods. Yep, absolutely. And, and what did John say? Dear children, keep, keep away from anything that would distract you or take God's place in your heart. Stay away from it. Are there many ways to heaven? No. One way. If you believe in false gods, yep, false ways. I get that. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we are anchored on the truth. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Only way. Worship team, would you come forward, please? I proclaim that not with arrogance, but with boldness and truth. And as Christians, we need to proclaim that truth. And to tolerate anything else is really to allow people to live in dangerous situations. Do you believe there's only one, one way? I, I've got to ask you this. Listen to me. Do you believe that there's only one way? Do you believe that you're going in the right direction? Because a lot of us sometimes don't. We don't realize it. We're going in the wrong direction. We don't even realize it. I heard this story about one time about a senior citizen who called, she, she called up her husband. She was watching the news. She's watching on a live report, helicopters, that a car is going in the wrong direction on the highway and all these cars are coming at. She calls up her husband, Herman, Herman, be careful out there. I just saw on the news that there's a car going in the wrong direction on the highway. There's going to be an accident. He goes, I know there's not just one car. There's hundreds of cars going in the wrong direction. Herman's going in the wrong direction. And he didn't even realize it. That's where we are sometimes in life. We are going in the wrong direction and we don't realize it. And we're just like, okay, I'll just keep dodging, keep dodging. Listen, go in the right direction. Know what is truth. Know what is truth. Would you stand, please? I'll close with this last verse. John 17. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour's come. Glorify your son so he can give the glory back to you. 
for you've given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you've given him. Now listen to this, verse 3. And this is the way to eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I believe according to God's word, we were created to have a perfect harmony, to be in perfect harmony with the God of this world. But sin has separated us from that harmony, has broken our relationship with God. But Jesus Christ came and he said, I'm going to bridge that gap. I'm going to reconcile your relation. I'm going to restore that relation. But you've got to place your faith in me because Jesus is the only one, the only way that will ever do that. The work that Christ did on the cross allows us to have a relationship with the God of this universe. Only way. And if you do not believe that this morning, I want to invite you to join in that belief. I want to invite you that if you've got sin right now that's, that's kept you from God, I want to invite you to please pray as I pray and ask God for forgiveness. And I want to invite you to say, I want to start standing a little bit more firmer on this truth. There's only one God. I want it to be known. I worship only one God. Not a bunch of false gods, but one God, because he is the only way. I invite you to pray that with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. I thank you that you are the one and only true God. I thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us to pay for that, that penalty that we couldn't pay for. Sin has separated us from you. God, forgive us of our sins. We've rebelliously acted against you. We have selfishly chosen our way over your way. We have made mistakes that we didn't even realize we were making. God, forgive us of these sins. Restore our relationship with you, the one and only true God. This is the only way to happen through you, through your son. And God, I ask that you open that way to us through our belief, through our placing our faith in you, through trusting you to do what we cannot do. By grace, we are saved through faith, not by works. Otherwise, we'd boast about it, God. So God, this morning, we confess our sins to you. We place our faith in you. We proclaim boldly and not ashamed, but boldly that Jesus Christ is the only way to you, God. Help us to be strong and courageous in a world that needs direction. God, again, not because we want to pat ourselves on the back, but because like you, you want everyone to know you. Give us that kind of passion for this world. We want others to know you as well so they can experience life and the peace and eternal hope that we have in you. We love you, Lord. In thy name we pray, amen. Mm -hmm.